Good evening and welcome back to another edition of Tice Talk. I'm my last one as host. Uh, welcome to everyone. Uh, I want to say hello to all of our Tuesday Tice Talkers. How are we all? Uh, don't forget that we are going to have uh, a free uh, Tice Talk mug as a prize for the best comments and questions to meet. As you can see, our Tice Hunter saying in the chat, the most coveted Tice Talk mug. So please keep your questions and comments coming to me and the guests throughout the show. We are talking all about security on a budget today for SMEs. Can we really have enterprise level security if we are in an SME? Now, I have got a great panel joining me for this. I have Casey Corcoran, who is the cybersecurity advisor at Strasserscale, Bradley Dev, who's the CEO at Cyx, and Brent Deterring, who is the CISO at AFNI. And I'm going to ask them all to join me now. Hey, Casey. Hi, Rago. And hello, Brent. Welcome, gentlemen. And it's great to have you on the show. How are we today? Doing great. Thank you. Okay, we've got Rago and Brent. We need your mics unmuted, please. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I have all three of you. So we're going to start today with uh, an article, as we always do. And it's a news article all about this particular topic. I'm not going to go into too much detail on this article today, but it's about collaboration for SME manufacturers who need affordable cybersecurity solutions. Now, what we know is that, uh, according to the article, 49%, so that's half of small businesses, have already suffered a cyber breach. And 59%, so six in 10, uh, medium-sized businesses have already had a cyber breach, but what the article also says is that they can neither afford nor perhaps prioritize cyber security. I'm going to go to Casey Corcoran first. Casey, what were your thoughts on the article? I, I think the, the article bit builds on a kind of a, a general theme that, that's been developing for some time now, is that no, no company is too small to, to have a cyber incident. And, uh, and I think, you know, it's it's probably true, and uh, and you know th these numbers um, certainly came from from someplace the forty eight and the fifty nine percent. Having said that, however, I I, th I think um, one of the questions that you have to ask yourself also is how is an is an, is a breach really defined? I think you know there can be there can be very, very small things that happen that then um, you know when somebody does fills out a survey and says you know now now we've had a breach was that a breach was that just some sort of an incident that was mm. that was internal that had very little impact having said that the fact is is that um, the attackers have gotten more sophisticated there's a lot more automation being used um, and due to that the ability for somebody to attack a small to medium company where maybe the uh, the spoils aren't quite as great has become much easier over the last couple of years and uh, and therefore there is no size of company that should not be concerned about um, cybersecurity. Absolutely. I mean, coming now to you, Raghu, I mean, huh, I think, do you think it's a question of perception in small companies that they don't think they're at risk or what were your thoughts? Actually, there's no time, you know, so you're not, I mean, this is an extra thing for small companies to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I believe that focusing on cybersecurity is kind of the the last thing you want to do because you have to do business mm -hmm. and you know what would you put first right so you 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 want to make money and not focus on things that would cost you more and more yeah. so i think that's and and that's the theme of today's talk right so we got to right. focus on 
how to reduce that headache for people to focus on their business and not the other way around. Right. Those are my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Brent, on that article, I mean, do you agree with the with the other two panelists? Is is, is it a perception thing we have to work on first? Do you think? Somewhat, but I think that there is a lot of value in an owner of a small company saying, "Hey, I'm not a target," and it's like, "Well, you're not a target of Chinese nation-state actors, but you are a target of opportunistic, low sophistication." malware or uh, ransomware groups mm-hmm. right and so I, I think that i think that we owe it to everyone to articulate that some things are not a risk some things are very likely not a risk and other things are very substantial but the the good news right is that substantial risk mitigation can be had relatively cheaply and relatively inexpensively without being incredibly difficult and so, for example, um, I think most everyone could agree that the best bang for the buck in security is multi-factor authentication. But we know that Microsoft says, say, 80% of organizations don't have it, don't use it. Well, that's yeah. that's a pretty, a pretty low barrier to substantially reduce risk. And if we were in this situation where kind of everyone universally, uh, organizations, had multi-factor authentication, then, like, we'd be in a way better place, Right. Now, would it shift? Yeah, everything would shift, right? But it, there's a lot of um, cost-effective security that can happen. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I was actually in a dark web uh, event today. Uh, and, you know, they gave up a list of, like, the companies that have been hacked over the last week. And it was a huge mix of companies, everything from tiny little enterprises right up to some really well-known names. So, you know, let, let's unpack some of this. Uh, and I'll come to you again first, Casey, on, on this one. But I think just picking up a little bit on, on what, what Brent said there, there's this idea of maybe we try and protect everything and we're not really aware of what's actually most critical, what the crown jewels are. Uh, do you think that that's a problem for the smaller business? Um, I, I think the smaller business um, knows what their crown jewels are, maybe even more so than a very large business, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's 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 a, it's a horizon that's that can be that, that maybe you can see to the to the other side of. Um, but having said that, how do you protect that, and 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 where does it reside? Is 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 um, you know it depends. And um, one of the things that that I think small and, and medium businesses do more of is 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 cloud computing. Not that big companies don't do that; they do substantial amounts of that. However, mm-hmm. percentage wise, probably less. And, and therefore, um, th- there are there are techniques that are you know where you're not using a data center and, and you're not protecting protecting your your things in an office where you know things are more about understanding the identity of of the access, understanding the endpoint that's at, that's used for that access, understanding the network over which that is flowing, and then using targeted security around those things. Right, you can do a lot, and then add to that turning on things like MFA, as, as Brent said, is, is, is an obvious one. But the other obvious ones that, that often get overlooked is, is the cloud native protections that you can mm. turn on within any one of the uh, hyperscalers. I think sometimes they, you know, it's a question of using what we've got properly, isn't it, Raghu? I mean, I think sometimes you don't even realize what we've already got in a lot of the software, but people don't always... Really, like you said, it was a question of resource. I guess sometimes people don't realize that they're already protected if they use it, keep it updated. I mean, is that part of it too? 
Yeah, I think um, I just want to comment on what Casey said Absolutely. and then, then go to your question. So um, I think it's a very difficult job. Um, if you have probably 10 things that you need to protect, you could prioritize them. Um, and de depending on the size of the business, you usually have 50 things, 60 mm -hmm. things. And then there is actually one is the crown jewels and the other one is points of entry, right? So the points of entry could be a simple website that's badly designed where you're actually taking customer input. And that becomes sort of <laughs> the biggest um, vulnerability point that you need to consider, right? So, mm -hmm. so I think the, the assessment has to be done appropriately, right? So mm -hmm. and then you need to protect it. So doing this for large corporations, like, you know, the bank that I was in and then prior to that IBM, you know, we had thousands of applications and thousands of applications required different types of controls. Mm. And then you need to lay that down and, and do that. This rigor doesn't change for the small business. So there isn't a, a nice, easy magic bullet that can help them immediately. Now, if you carefully design this, you can have that magic bullet, but mm -hmm. I don't see it. Uh, it's not prevalent in the market. Let's put it that way. So there isn't a due diligence checklist that I can download and check, 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 check. I can figure out what that's what that looks like and then apply it. Right. So that's the that's the first part. So I feel like that needs to be done. And Casey touched on identity and access management, which is my, you know, I, I'm passionate about. So we've done this multiple times and it's very, it's not, it's not a trivial task, but it can become. And, and I think that's where we can make a difference for the small business. So the other question that you had was more process related in my opinion. Mm -hmm. right? So there's so much to, you know, it's not tools. You can't throw tools at, at the wall and let's see what sticks. Right. In fact, I think there's more, uh, problems as you increase the number of tools. And and I think that's kind of the change in thought process where you need to think about a process rather than how you're going to, like, you know, buy more tools to do it. So. Yeah. And we, and we all want to do that, right? We all want to, you know, we know that there's a problem with people wanting to buy a magic box <laughs> right. and just say, why can't I just switch this on and be protected? Brent, what are your thoughts on all of that? So I have this, uh, I have this theory uh, that we are, as an industry, overspending in cybersecurity. Um, if I had carte blanche, I would return about a quarter of my budget to my company because I don't need it. And the reason that I don't need it is not on prioritizing on critical assets or crown jewels or whatever, but on very quickly and service level identifying where my risks are and how much those risks are. So, for example, I know from my company that the risk of ransomware is about a 15 to $20 million risk. Mm -hmm. And I know that I can substantially mitigate that for $500,000. Now, if those numbers are off by half, okay, if it's a $10 million risk, do you still want to spend $500,000 to mitigate it? Yeah, right. And for a list of, say, nine or 10 different risks, um, I can come up with that. And it's uh, directionally accurate. Some may say a guess, but I'll, I'll say it's directionally accurate. It's an educated guess based mm -hmm. off of number of records, revenue, things like this, right? And that takes five seconds. So we can get directionally accurate numbers 
very quickly <coughs> and identify how we can substantially mitigate the risk of those of those things. And what we would find is that substantial risk mitigation does not have to be terribly expensive or terribly time involved. And we can do this in a couple of days, right? A couple of days of uh, assessments, you know, questionnaire, educated, and close enough is good enough for a small business, especially. I can spend three to six months and hundreds of thousands of dollars buying assessments and getting maturity scores and adhering to frameworks and all this. Or I can take five seconds and go, oh, that's a $5 million risk and it'll cost this to substantially make it and get it done before anyone else is getting started with it. So I think that that is something that I've seen work dramatically well for small business. But doesn't that, I think that, I, I don't disagree with you, but I think even to have someone with the expertise to say, I can do that, to, for someone to be di directionally accurate, right, in their predictions, a lot of small firms won't have anyone with the expertise employed. I mean, maybe not even be able to afford someone with that, just with, to be able to do that, to be able to sum it up so well and to yeah. be able to say to them, okay, this is something, somewhat of a guess, but we know it's about right. Mm -hmm. You know, is, I mean, it's, it's that resource question again. We might, even if the money's there, they probably can't hire someone of the right caliber to give them that forecast. And this is why the CISO consulting organizations exist, mm -hmm. right? For a, for, a, for a relatively low cost initial assessment or a relatively low cost monthly retainer, that's exactly the kind of expertise in strategic direction that you get. Right. Yeah. So and that is uh, very common. In fact, um, you know, I, I, I work with some organizations or I, I am associated with some organizations that do exactly that. They, they have companies come to them and say, hey, we need to hire a CISO. Mm. And CISOs are expensive. Right. I mean, we, we get paid. And scarce. Uh, yeah. And we get we pay quite a bit. Right. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa I, I can't afford all that. It's like, well, OK. Um, but you probably don't necessarily need a CISO. You need a fractional or a virtual CISO to do some of this, and then you need project management and things like that. And that is where uh, many of the providers of the tools can also excel because they are able to, even though it is a tool-based approach, right, they're able to do some of the um, best bank, bank for the buck stuff, right, and say, hey, th this this can help manage service and it's not it's not perfect but it is certainly a solution that that is out there and exists right a company with 10 million in revenue or 50 million in revenue they don't need to go hire a CISO right probably probably maybe but they probably don't need that but they do need a small amount of direction right and mm. but that is something that can be hired okay Casey what are your thoughts on that no, I, I, I agree 100% with Brent. Um, it, for, for a small to medium business to go out and hire a CISO, even, even to be able to afford a director of security, somebody who's dedicated to that position is probably more than a lot of companies need or want to do, right? Um, if you can get, get an external um, service provider to come in, um, look at your attack service, right? Look and see where the entry points are, find out you know where that could lead to, 
um, then it's fairly straightforward to say, these are the, the types of controls I can put in place to, to prevent access to that or to make it much more difficult to, to have access to that. And one of the things I, I like to say is, is um, I think it was in the 2020 and, and prior um, Verizon database, um, data breach incident report, the DBIR, it had a statistic mm -hmm. in there, which was very interesting that said that if you can put five preventative steps between the attacker and whatever they're trying to get to, then you've mitigated something on the order of 98% of all successful attacks, right? Yep, so right. so this, this is again, to, to what Brent was saying, it's not hard to have that conversation to say, this is how people are, could come in. This is where they're trying to go. Do we have five things in place? Do we have four things in place? Do we have three things? Do we have two things? Do we have one thing? Which is mm -hmm. a lot of times there's only one thing, right? And um, and, and then, then it's, you know, <coughs> you're not doing heavy analysis to, to come to the answer. You're just saying, if we're at one, let's get to three, right? And next year, let's get to four, and then let's get to five. And and that way you can, it, it's an easy way to have that conversation versus trying to, to trying to be too analytic about it. Rocky? I kind of agree with my esteemed panelists, but I kind of don't agree too, so. <laughs> um, because I, both are CISOs and, you know, I, I, I agree that, you know, <laughs> It's uh, look, I'm not right. So I, I I focus on identity and access management, and I know what the heavy lifting is like. Right, I've been in the trenches. It's it's a gruesome job. So look, I think I agree that you need an expert. There's no there's no um, counter argument to that. However, um, coming to a, a quick answer. I like that approach. It's like kind of an agile approach. You can say, what's what's like really, what do you really want to protect? And and probably if you ask a CIO, he can come up with three things he wants to protect, right? But often I've seen things being missed out, you know, and and you know, it's it's a it's it's a it's a exam I can come up with many examples here, but the reason I'm saying this is it's important to have a structure right mm. you may you may do half of it <laughs> and come up with a solution and then do another half later and another half later but the important thing is it has to be done on a regular basis mm -hmm. so there's a process there yeah a, i was thinking yeah, yeah i was thinking you, you can't gotta, just do it once i suppose yeah, we need to get that know, over yeah so so brent no offense casey no offense but you know i i think Taking an approach of an expert-driven thing, great, but without rigorous process and coming to a solution in a proper way and then toolifying it, right? Mm -hmm. You may use a tool to do this, you know, to make it easy, but, you know, um, there's... So, there's, yeah. I, I, like, I like the approach. Again, I'm, I'm a CISO. I'm, I'm not a B CISO. I know a bunch of them uh, and like it, but I like that model. And I like yeah. that model because... Um, I worked for a vendor for 19 years, right? I spent 19 years on the vendor side and I've talked to many, many thousands of, of small businesses, right? So I, I get, I have some appreciation of, of the challenges that they face and the close enough is good enough approach I like. And that's where I think a visa so kind of thing shines because it's a regular, say monthly checkpoint with quarterly like roadmap updates, right? And this does not need to require more than a handful of hours a month because a lot of this can be done, like implemented by 
people who are well managed in a project, right? It, this is not rocket yeah. science, right? Mm -hmm. So there is that continual that continual improvement uh, to always look at what are the highest risk items that that we are that we are addressing. So absolutely agree. Expert regular process that's fine. Does not need to be incredibly involved. One challenge that I think the industry faces is. Um, it's a, a one and done kind of thing. Like here's the assessment, here's this massive report yeah. that, no, that no one ever reads. Yeah. And <laughs> always it's always very generic, right? Because mm -hmm. it is adherence against some ideal, perfect reference architecture that doesn't apply to hardly yeah. anyone, right? And this is where I think like, what risk do I face? What risk am I trying to mitigate? So uh, for me as a CISO, right? Of a relatively large company at this point, uh, there are risks that we accept, right? Um, we have international operations. We face risk of foreign exchange rates going wonky against us, right? We've accepted that risk. Mm -hmm. We've accepted the risk that if China wants me out of business, we're done. Like, I, I'm not defending against that, right? But I am defending against, you know, ransomware, availability, all, all these other things to a level that is appropriate to my company. That we are extended, mm -hmm. that we've accepted that level of risk. So I think any aspect, no matter the size of organization, involves identifying not only what risks exist, but what risk we are accepting, right? And then we target because then we can look and say, okay, this solution is whiz bang cool, but the only way that this could impact me in financial terms is if you had a super sophisticated adversary specifically who hated me for some reason. And I'm not defending against that. So, so I think thank that regular process makes a big difference. I agree. Thank you, Brent. Uh, do you know what? Uh, one of the things I think, I, I think I'll come to Casey next and we'll, I'll just keep going around, but if this is the case, Casey, and, and you know, I, I, I think, but you know, everyone's making a lot of sense here. Who in the organization it, if we're talking a quite a small company, right? So small to the to the smaller end of medium, who's the best person in that company to decide? I mean, actually, maybe Raghu, because you're CEO. I mean, you know, is it the CEO that's going to do this? Do you think? I mean, who's the best person to reach out, right. get right. a VC cell, or get this help and 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 own it? Even though you know we'll get an expert help that we're going to bring in and out. Is it the CEO, or do you deputize? I would deputize. <laughs> I would deputize. Um, it depends on the size. <laughs> Many, mm -hmm. I, I think it's um, giving a consulting consultant kind of an answer, but it depends on the size. So we are helping a thousand um, employee company. Mm -hmm. There, I'm going to the CIO, right? Mm -hmm. So because there's about hundred applications and you know all of that, right? We are helping uh, a even smaller <laughs> company with about five people. I'm going to the CEO, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I think it depends on, you know, the real size of the company. Mm -hmm. But but the deputization means something regular. And I think Brent touched on it. Because you, you if you don't do it in a continuous way, it's no use. Yeah, because at the course. point in time, you're done. And then you're you're waiting for the next attack to happen, next threat vector to show up. And you're done. So you're basically it has to be continuous, and you decide on the frequency based on, you know, risk acceptance levels, right? So I think that's essentially how I would see it. Can Casey? Let's go yeah. to Casey. Thank you, uh, Raghu. Uh, you know, 
it's it's part of the article said that they're not even sure that even though these companies are being attacked and they see that they are that cybersecurity is necessarily a priority. And I know you've had a ton of experience kind of talking to boards and, and, and things about cyber. How do we turn the tide on, on, on that sort of resistance to investing in it, given that they've got less resources? I mean, how do we, you know, if they're being breached, but they're still taking it seriously, what, what else can we do as an industry, do you think? Well, I, I think it's, you know, to kind of bring, bring it back to what Raghu and, and, and Brent were talking about is, is kind of that, that balance of having a, 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 a significant enough program in place, right, where you're continuously monitoring and, and, and managing your cybersecurity risk, but also not doing it over the top, right? Not, not, not going out and saying, for a 10-person organization, I'm going to do an ISO 27001 ISMS implementation, right, which, which would give you everything Raghu was talking about. It's, it's, it's there, it's, it's comprehensive, it's constantly mm -hmm. being managed and all these types of things, but it's unmanageable for a small organization, right? So I think finding the right framework and, you know, I've done implementations using um, the CIS uh, critical controls, which I think are very approachable and easy, easy to implement in general. We, right? Yeah, and we have Cyber Essentials uh, yep, as yep. well. Cyber Essentials yep. works well. Yeah, Cyber Essentials is, is another one I've, I've worked with. So, so yeah, th those are very approachable, and they, they they lend themselves to having a a program in place that's actually manageable over time and allows you to to make sure that you're staying on top of things. And I think, I think from a from an organizational perspective, if you go at it from that perspective, you have a chance of a making everybody understand why you're doing it, right? Because you can articulate very well what it is that you're protecting and how you're protecting it. And be getting the budget and the resources that you need to get it done, right? Um, yeah. You know that that I think is is the key is is get it to the right level and then and then continuously work on that to to improve it as you move forward. Absolutely. Let's let's think a little bit. I just want to sort of pivot a little bit now, um, because obviously as a social engineer uh, and somebody who deals with the human side of things, culture. And awareness culture, you know, a lot of these problems, even down to updating, you know, like like Rag said, that the, the site might be open, they might have an open website, or, uh, you know, it could be human error. And we know that there's problems implementing security culture in large organizations. Is it easier, do you think, in a smaller one? What's everyone's experience of that? Is that another challenge? Let's go to maybe go to Brent next. What do you think about bringing the cultural, the human side in? Sure, I, I think that we have to acknowledge and realize that this is not necessarily a technology issue or a logic or reason or intellectual understanding issue. Um, rather, it is a human emotion issue. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a, a prime example, right? Um, email retention policies, right? They're good to limit liability, limit the <coughs> bridge things like this. But if you go and say, hey, there is a lot of risk here, a lot of records in email. Email is not a good document retention solution. We're going to delete all your email older than 12 months. Everything that you said is, is proper and correct, but you're not acknowledging that this is a very human emotion that people think that my old emails are valuable, right? It's a cognitive dissonance, a digital hoarder thing, right? So you have to understand and empathize with not even your users, but your employees, your mm. partners, your people, your all of this, and deal with the human aspect to get buy-in on that. Um, many times this involves uh, applying it to per people's personal lives. 
So, for example, I'm I'm a big big proponent of uh, of YubiKeys, right? These little mm-hmm. secure hardware tokens for identity, right? Uh, when I roll these out to my organization, I said not a thing about protecting us and our our organization. Uh, I spoke entirely about the ability to use these personally as being a personal benefit, okay. as easing log on and log off and all that. Now, from a security perspective, for my org, it's a huge thing, right? But I, I spoke to those people's individual concerns. Now, to execs, I'll talk more about organizational risk. But when it comes to creating a security culture, I think it is uh, the biggest thing is human emotion and empathy and speaking to personal benefit. Okay. I think so too. R- Raghu, I mean, do you agree with that? Do you see the challenges from the human side? Yeah, I think it's an excellent point actually Brent made to um, reduce friction, to improve experience so that, and security is built into that so that you don't really stress the user out, mm-hmm. right? So, um, you know, we've had multiple incidents. One of them was a security guy, actually. So when we started increasing the rotation of passwords and all of that kind of stuff, so uh, he created a very nice spreadsheet with all his passwords. Oh. And, <laughs> and then to keep it secure, he uploaded it into his own website, right? So, <laughs> so yeah. So And, and I'm talking about not a, um, you know, uh, average user. I'm talking no, about a security like a, guy, right? Yeah, so techie. Yeah. A techie, right? So, you know, I, I think it's, it's the amount of stress you put on people um, that, yeah. you yeah. know, they begin to do things that are outside the norm. Of course, you need to educate them and they know that they shouldn't do that. But will they stop? They won't. So no. they need, you got you to gotta ease that pressure by improving experience and building it into security. Otherwise, this battle is going to keep happening, you know. Well, I want, to, I want to go back to Casey on this because I know when we were doing our prep, Casey, you spoke about smaller business. I thought you made this excellent point. A couple of things a smaller business more likely to be working remotely more likely for individuals to be in charge of more uh, you know data and more details and, and have admin rights as well um you know because that whole sort of movement to the cloud that was kind of a, a hangover if you like from lockdown it hasn't helped small to medium businesses has it well well it's, it's helped them be be successful in a lot of ways um it, it of has, course but i mean from a security point of view it opens up the perimeter challenges let's call it new challenges for security new challenges. and i think yeah. especially diplomatic. in a small company people working from home often using their personal equipment right to access the company's um uh digital assets um you know people going back to the emotion um perspective that brent was talking about people are concerned about privacy of of what they're doing in their in their own time on the on their machines and things mm-hmm. like that so so if you come in too heavy-handed and say i'm going to instrument this with with a very very intrusive um uh, uh tool of some sort that we're going to monitor then then very quickly my experience is when people start worrying about, well, what else are you monitoring? What are you looking at? What are you collecting from 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 me? What, and they're right. Is, a lot of is the it time. okay for me to go to my banking site now? You know, mm-hmm. is, you know, all these types of things start start coming up, and it, and it's and it's more so. Even though we were doing all these things in an office environment, it's more so when people are at home because they feel like they're in a more private sphere, right? And so, so that's something that has to be addressed. It has to be has to be emphasized is that we are doing this for this reason, right? We're looking for these types of things. We're not, we, we don't care what else you do. 
we just want to make sure that you're staying safe, both for your own benefit and for the benefit of the organization. And just to stay with you a minute, Casey, you know, you say there, you know, we want to make sure, and, and you know, I'll come to Brent and Ragu on this as well, but, you know, we just want to make sure that you're doing the right thing for yourself and the organization, which is the approach that I would always take. I would always say, uh, and it's the same with Brent, with the UBK, right? It's like, this protects you, and by default, that protects the organization. But another thing that comes into play with the smaller businesses is, and I think the word you used when we were talking about it yesterday, Casey, was leniency. It was the fact that we don't, so like there are not the penalties, there are not the safeguards, there are not the checks in place in a smaller business um, to, to, to keep people on, you know, on the level with the security that we recommend. Right, which means that, that whoever is taking on that mantle of being the security manager needs to have more, more interaction with, with the people in the company. How, mm. how else are you going to do it, right? You have, to, you have to communicate. You have to normalize security within an organization. It can't be something where everybody, as soon as they hear your name, they're like, oh, my God, there comes a security guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it has to be, oh, let's have a conversation about this. And, and no, nobody's in trouble. Um, we just, you know, we need to talk about how this has happened. Absolutely. I saw Brent, you nodding vigorously. Just very quickly, do you agree with that? Is is that the way that you'd look at it? it, Absolutely. So, uh, for example, even in, so small business may not do this, uh, larger do, right? We have phishing, phishing, smishing, training, simulations, all that. Um, I do not focus on click rate, credential rate, any of that. I focus almost entirely on reporting rate, right? Mm -hmm. And I want to drive up the rate of reporting. Because at the end of the day, I look at my uh, employees as an outstanding first line of defense mm-hmm. for it, right? And it's, it goes back to the see something, say something kind of, kind of idea, right? But I only get that engagement when, like, it, if they click on a phishing email and I punish them with an hour of training where they get on a bad <laughs> list, then, then that's, that, that's hostile to my employees. Or right. if I send out a phishing email... Uh, this is one example. Um, I did not do this, but another work in the midst of COVID, they sent out a phishing email saying, hey, we're finding an extra stimulus check. Click here. I know. Notorious that's, phishing. That's yeah. Toxic, All right? the messages. That's terrible. Mm. So uh, I run any, any communications that we do. I work with HR and corporate communications. I make sure that it strikes the tone that I want to, that I want to strike. And I encourage reporting, and all this, I thank people when when people report stuff. I thank them. Um, if it's not too many people, I give out gift cards and stuff like that. And the minimum, I always tell my team and I say, "Hey, thank you, thank you so much. This is very appreciative." When I talk to my execs and their leaders, I say the same mm-hmm. thing. I say, "I appreciate your partnership. This is awesome." And doing that consistently yields people who want to do the right thing, right? Yeah. They they want they want to help. They want to be easy. You know, but if I them, they turn around, if I'm smacking them, that's not going to work. Right? It's such a good point, Brent, because I think I think that's the thing that we, it sometimes gets forgotten in these security conversations. People actually don't want to be a security risk. You're right. They yeah. want to do the right thing. But it can just be a bit complicated, especially when you've got a million other things to do. Well, we are rapidly running out of time. Uh, as I say, any comments or questions are very welcome. We'll try and fit them in at the end. But I think just to close this a little bit, what can companies do with little or no money? Uh, Ragu, coming to you first, I know you were speaking to me yesterday in our prep about automation and that type of thing. What you know? What would your advice be for little or no resource 
or money, where do they go? So um, we've seen, a, um, and I think a couple of points were made here that there has been a segmentation between managing an identity and then cybersecurity. So I think there's there's been a, a shift. So, mm-hmm. and I think that that barrier has to come, shouldn't exist, number one, which means, you know, it should be continuous, right? So it means uh, I click on something, it goes to the network and the network goes to the target system and then you should get the feedback. And in order to do this, it they, it has to be automated, right? Mm-hmm. So it, you, you cannot have uh, this, you know, multiple products in a single company, which basically do hundreds of things and then we catch things between the cracks and try to fix it. We can't do that. So it has to be a simple tool that does this. So that's number one. Number two is from an automation perspective, we talk about MFA. I'm just telling you the issues about implementing MFA. Um, you, you, have a, you have a single person in the company who says, I'm not using my phone for you know downloading a company app and using it for the company. I don't want to do it. So now you have to send a hardware token to that guy and manage that, right? So it's a logistical stuff, right? So there's all these things that you need to take into consideration when you're trying to reduce cost, even for a very simple thing like MFA. So in order to kind of protect the enterprise, there is only one thing that you can do, which is automate most of these things so that you can actually bring all of the security into one place so the assessment can be done and even if you bring in a virtual CISO or whatever, there is something to rely on for that person mm, okay. to say, I can make this decision. I can make this decision. Change this, change that. So that constant feedback has to be given. So I feel like this needs to happen promptly and regularly. I mean, I mean, it sounds neater for a yeah. start, more under control. Casey, what's your closing advice for people, for, for small to medium enterprises, little or no money? Where, where do they begin? What can they do? I feel like, I feel like it's been said, but I'll say it again. Turn on the security controls you already have, right? And yeah. They, I, I know that there may be some problems with it, but turn it on for most people, right? If, if even if you can't get everyone, um, you, you know, if you if you're using cloud, use the cloud native uh, native security controls as much as you can. They are relatively cheap, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but very successful in in kind of pre-correlating a lot of events into 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 actionable insights that you can then do something with. Thank you, Casey. Brent, very, very quickly, what yep. would your final thoughts on this be? If I had a 500-person organization and $30,000 to spend, I would turn on MFA for all users, which you probably already have licensing for. I would implement an EDR, um, software only, with, a, with an incident management retainer. That's that. $30,000, 500-person organization. It's not that bad. Well, do you know what? That was brilliant conversation, gentlemen. Thank you very much for all that sound advice. Uh, I just want to say this is my last Tice Talk as host. So I just want to say thank you to my panel today. You've been brilliant. What a high to go out on. And to all of the guests that have joined me on the show and to all of our lovely Tice Talk Tuesday audience. This week, I'm going to reward the mug to myself because I broke my host's mug and I don't have one. So you can send it to me, Tice. And I want to point everyone to the next episode of Tice Talk, which is on Thursday at 4 p.m. with Jeff White, which is on risk-based versus compliance-based security programs. I want to say thank you to the Tice Talk team, to Joseph, Katie, and to Russell, and to everyone who's been on Tice Talk. I've been Jenny. Thanks again, panel. 
Goodbye.